Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, guys. Well, hey, I, uh, I'm really happy to be here. Talking about kids, talking about students is something that's very near and dear to my heart, and so I am honored for the chance that I have to do just that. So let's get right to it. Children, students, kids, I mean, they are the heartbeat of our church. They're not the future of the church. They're the church now. And what we're going to talk about this morning is what each of us can do to help kids, but also we're going to talk about why kids matter. And so if you have your Bibles with you, get those out. If you have the Bible on your smartphone, you can get that out. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I recommend you go to your app store and download the Bible app. It's called Version. I think that'll be really helpful for you. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and I'm in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Old Testament, and I'm in chapter 14. And while you're turning there, let me give you some, uh, let me give you some, some cool info and history behind this section of Exodus that we're in. This part of the book of Exodus, it tells the story of the people of Israel being set free from slavery in Egypt from over 400 years. Just before chapter 14, Pharaoh, who was the leader of the Egyptians, he, he meets with Moses after some very, uh, very powerful and, and, uh, and interesting events that you need to read about in the story. But he, he meets with with Moses. And Moses was the person that God had chosen to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. And as he was meeting with him, he told Moses to take the people of Israel and to leave. And so Moses takes the people of Israel and leads them out. And he leads them to a very specific place that God told them to camp and to make, you know, set up shop, I guess is a better way to put that. And then all of a sudden, there's this 180. Pharaoh changes his mind. He had told Moses to take the people of Israel and to leave. And Moses takes the people of Israel, and he leaves, but then Pharaoh changes his mind. He decides to chase after the people of Israel, not just with his entire army, but he puts his best troops that, that, are, that are running with the chariots, he put those in front of the army, and they chase after the people of Israel in order to bring them back to Egypt. So they meet up with the people of Israel, and no surprise, the people of Israel are in just complete panic. And, and you've got you to put yourself where they're at. They are in a place geographically that is completely defenseless. Okay? They are completely exposed and vulnerable. And so they panic. And they say, things like, they say things to Moses like, we told you this would happen. Why did you bring us here? And my favorite, it's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Very powerful imagery. Kind of like kids on a road trip. There's that... There's that, that time frame where the first 20 minutes are just fantastic, and, and you're in the car, and you're like, we're doing it. We are making memories. And then after that 20 minutes, I don't really understand what happens in the, in the mind of a child. I guess I should, because I was once that child on road trips, but something happens, and then the switch just goes off, and they are screaming, and they are crying, and they are throwing things, things you didn't think that they possessed as children. You're just wondering, where is all of this coming from? So it's kind of like the people of Israel. They are not pleased. But I love the way that Moses responds to the people of Israel. In the midst of their panic, for lack of a better word, Moses assures them of this truth. Exodus 14, verse 14. It says this, The Lord himself will fight for you. You need only to be still. God, I thank you for this chance that we have to gather together to open your word, ask your blessing on this time, and I pray that each one of us find a way that we can fight for kids. Amen. So a couple months ago, 
on a Saturday night, the night before church, my wife Sim and I, we were talking about what the next day looked like. We talked about when I needed to come, when she needed to come, and, and she had something to do afterwards. I don't even remember what that is now that I think about it. But, uh, but so we just got everything in line, and, and I was actually quite proud of myself as a husband. I was present in the moment. I was making eye contact. I listened. I was focused. I remember everything that she said. We had a plan. It was a done deal. After church, I would take the boys in the van and go home, and she would take my car and, and go uh, do whatever it was that she was going to do. And then I fell asleep, and I woke up the next morning, and we came to church, and first service was great, second service was fantastic, and after that, I'm just kind of, you know, just kind of taking my time, and because, uh, you know, I had the boys, and I had the van, and she had my car, and she was going to go do her thing. And, and so I'm talking to people as they're leaving, and the place clears out, and, and there's some other kids hanging around the youth room, and my boys are still hanging around, and I just thought, oh, what the hey, we'll just throw around a football, we'll just hang out, you know, I'm just taking my time. And all of a sudden, the van door opens, and I'm like, well, that's weird. Who's in my car? And my wife, Sib, is walking towards me, and she, she's not very happy and uh, has that face. And a lot of you know what that face looks like. face looks different, but it's, I mean, come on, the face is the same, right? It's shock, it's panic, it's frustration, and there's, there's a hint of love in there, I think. I don't know, women, you tell me. But that's my hope, right? That's what I hope. And she's walking towards me, and I'm confused. And I, and, and I just kind of stand there, and she goes, Honey, do you remember what I have to do after church? I'm waiting on you guys. We need to go. And in that moment, I felt really good because I had just remembered something that she had forgotten. And as a man, when you remember something that a woman forgets and you end up being right about something in that moment, what do we do, men? We, we take a sign and we, we post it. We tweet it, we put it on our Facebook, we tell the neighbors, we tell our friends. You might even call your father, you might even call your father-in-law and be like, hello, I was right, I remember something she forgot. And now as I process this, maybe I should have processed this earlier, but I did not respond in the way that I should have. Because she says, you know, I'm waiting on you, we have to go. I said, honey, you have your own car. Did you not remember that? Because we talked about that last night. I was present in that conversation. You know, I'm not sure where you are, but, uh, but I mean, there it is. <laughs> and she was still making eye contact with me, which that is a scary moment when that happens, <laughs> especially when nothing was said, which that was definitely the case in this moment. Nothing was said. She just looked at me, and then she just kind of walked the other way back to where my car was over behind the office building. And... Uh, yeah, it, it was not. Like, I, you just, I felt the weight of those words, and I just felt terrible. So I looked at the boys and just kind of cut the fun short, and I was like, boys, we need to, we need to go. We need to, we need to get out of here. So I rushed home as fast as I could. I, I, I put something on for dinner. I started cleaning the bathrooms. I started vacuuming. I started, pick, I started picking up stuff in the backyard. I did everything possible to make up for that that argument for that fight that I started that I knew had not finished in the church parking lot. <laughs> a lot of good things happened in the church parking lot. There were people praying after prayer meetings and talking about lunch plans afterwards, but that was not a good thing that happened in the church parking lot. And it got me thinking of all the things that we, that we fight about. That was just a silly thing that honestly did not matter that much. And in the grand scheme of life, we fight about the silliest things. And when it comes to Oklahoma, we love our air conditioning, right? When we come into a place that's cold, when it's 90 degrees out, we give thanks to our Heavenly Father, right? It's just a thing of being an Okie, 
right? And so, but we can fight about the door of our homes being left open when the air conditioner is running. Common phrase in my house when I was growing up was, shut the door! Like I would shut, I would open the door to, to leave, and you know, the second it was creaked, shut the door! I think my dad had recorded something and attached it to the door like a sensor, you know, when it, when it would open, he'd, there's this voice, it's like this omnipresence, what is that? The voice of God sounds like my father. We can fight about the door being left open, because I always wondered, you know, why? I mean, isn't an open door inviting for our friends and for our family and for the neighborhood and for the community? And, and I moved out, and I got my own house and looked at my utility bills, and I realized, oh, that's why we closed the door. So students, hear me on this, okay? When your parents tell you to close the door, leave the door closed, okay? It'll work out for the whole family. I promise you that. That is truth that you can tweet in less than 140 characters, okay? Leave the door closed. It's great. We fight about silly things like who gets to pick the next TV show or the next movie that we watch on Netflix. I mean, there will be, there will be you know, arguments and people are standing up and throwing their remotes and all kinds of stuff. I recommend Girl Meets World if you're not sure about what to watch next. It's actually pretty fantastic. Don't fight about that, though. Don't make me you know, the cause of a, of a rift within the family. We fight about meaningless things on social media, things like uh, most recently a fight that I was able to observe. Somebody made a four-word comment, okay, four or four-sentence, uh, four four-word sentence comment about Kevin Durant and whether or not he should have gotten the championship or not gotten the championship so that he could learn that he never should have left Oklahoma City in the first place. And literally, over 80 comments later, these people are still throwing things back and forth. Of, well, he, he should have left. He needed a championship. No, he should have stayed. He should have been faithful. And I'm like, oh my. I, read, I think I read like four or five of them, and I scrolled, you know, where it says, see more, you know you're in trouble, right? Because you click that, and then, boom, this thing opens up. I'm like, I don't have time for this. We, th- we fight about toilet paper. We fight, we fight about whether or not it should roll over top or whether it should roll under. Now, come on, people. It goes over. If you flip to Leviticus 19, it says something. I mean, if it's not over, it's just unbiblical, right? Some of you are like, I, I, I let it go under. So I've, I've kind of divided a little tension. It's just kind of uncomfortable. It's like I'm back in the parking lot again. But you know what's funny? We fight about a lot. And you would think that all these things would make our life easier, make our lives better, make our lives more enriched. But for some reason, it's just made things more complicated. We fight about a lot. And it's not that those things are bad, and it's not that they don't matter. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But a question I have, what's the lasting value of those fights? Is there a lasting value? I want you to think about this. There's a lot that we fight about. But what's something that you fight for? Did you catch that? There's there's a difference. There's a difference in fighting about something and fighting for something. So what are you fighting for? I did some research on this topic. What do people in North America fight about? What are, what is, what's a worthy cause? And I found this article, it's really interesting, by a guy named Mark Chernoff, and he suggests that the number one thing for each one of us to fight for in our individual lives, number one thing, is personal greatness. Personal greatness. 
fair enough. You know, and, and shouldn't we want to be the best that we can be, right? We want to be the best at this. We want to have the greatest that we need. We want to fight for our way and we want to make things happen. I mean, to be the best that we can be is a worthy goal, right? But where has personal greatness gotten us? You know, what's the cost of pursuing personal greatness? And is it worth it? And so with all due respect to Mr. Chernoff, personal greatness is good. But I truly believe that there is something that we could be fighting for that's greater. And I believe, and I want to suggest to you that what that thing is, is to be fighting for the kids of the next generation. Fighting for the kids of the next generation. So why, why would I suggest this? Out of everything that we could be fighting for, I suggest this because when I look back at this story, when I look at all of, all of the stories and what we know today as the Bible, what I see is, is a very common narrative, a very main point woven throughout all of Scripture. And that's that, and that's that God fighting for his children. It's the nearest thing to God's heart is God fighting for his children. And we can see that in the story that we just read. The people of Israel, they are completely defenseless. Where they are geographically, the, the place where they are positioned, I mean, they are open from every single area that they're surrounded by. There's nowhere for them to run. There's nowhere for them to hide. It's the desert and the sea. They are in a very dangerous place. An army is coming after them. But God fights for them. And he fights for the people of Israel, which are referenced throughout Scripture as the children of Israel or the children of God. He fights for them so that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that after coming out of slavery, after 400 years, that God could be trusted. And that also God can be trusted to give them a better way to live. And God also fights for them so that Egypt, which is the supreme culture of the time, so that they would know that he was the one true God. And for the supreme culture of the time to know that God is the one true God, then the rest of the known world would too. God fights for the children of Israel and tells them <clears throat> that they matter. They'd been in slavery for over 400 years. And honestly, probably believing that that's what they were best suited for. Generation after generation after generation. Only knowing slavery. But God delivers them. He delivers them from Egypt, and he delivers them from that mindset and that way of life and tells them that they've been created for more, that they're worth more. And in the midst of their panic, when they have literally nowhere to go, nothing to pick up, nothing to fight with, Moses assures them of this truth. In Exodus 14, verse 14, he reassures them by saying, the Lord himself will fight for you. And what's interesting in Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, when God gives details, when God gives instructions for something, usually there's a lot of detail to go along with that. Build this with these tools. It has to be this, these, you know, this inches wide, this high. There's, there's a long list of detail. But what's really interesting, it's very specific about this, is how Moses follows up that statement of God fighting for him. 
It doesn't say, hey, pick up these tools. Hey, grab this and move here. The Lord himself will fight for you. You need only, only to be still. God fights for them. And that's what God calls us to do. Because children today, they need us. They need somebody fighting for them. Did you know that in in, in the Tulsa area, okay, in Jesus Disneyland, that one in 12 children are growing up within a fatherless home? One in 12. We got more than double that back in Core Kids. In America, there are 25 million children that are growing up in a fatherless home, not being affirmed. They're not being taught what it means to be a man and what it means to make decisions and what it means to care for somebody, what it means to love somebody. Let that sink in for just a second. And here in our area, children in our area, in, in the suburbs of BA, in the Tulsa County, they're growing up in homes sometimes of, sometimes of violence, sometimes being told that the best thing that they're suited for is, is nothing. They're growing up lonely, growing up not being affirmed. They're growing up with nobody fighting for their voice to be heard. Those are the armies that are coming against our kids these days. So who's fighting for them? Because God has placed a value, a value on our kids. But they won't understand that unless we're the ones to say, hey, this is what you've been created for. Hey, you're worth more than this. We've got to be the ones to tell them that. We've got to be the ones to tell them that they have been created for greatness. Because we see that in this story. We see God doing that in this story. The reason why he fought for them was to tell him those things. And not only do we see that by God in this story, but we also see it in the life of his son, Jesus. So flash forward, okay, Jesus comes on the scene. He's traveling around. He's doing ministry. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 19, there's a really interesting thing that happens with Jesus and some children. Matthew chapter 19, starting at verse 13, says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, so those closest to Jesus, scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads, and he blessed them before they left. So what is it that Jesus is doing here? He's fighting for the kids. When those closest to him were pushing them away, he said, no, 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 you've, you've missed it. Bring them close. Bring them to me. And then he says something really interesting here, very specific, and I want to make sure we, we, we catch this, okay? So watch this. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like these children. And what's really cool is this exact story appears in three out of the four Gospels. So talk about the writers of the Gospels and Jesus. I mean, they're really trying to drive this point home. Basically, this is kind of a big deal. And as followers of Jesus, our desire should be to do the things that Jesus did, right? And one of the things that Jesus did was he fought for kids. You know, maybe you're sitting there and you you want some specifics. Maybe you have the question, well, why specifically do you think he fought for kids? In this moment, why do you think he brought kids in? instead of keeping them on the outside. 
And I think it's because children have just this unbelievable capacity to love. And they see everything in the world with eyes of wonder, right? Just these wide eyes things that when they experience. I mean, I remember when Isaac, yes, the kid without his shirt on, I remember when he saw his hands for the first time. I mean, it, whoa, mine was blown, right? I remember the first time my middle son, Zeke, I remember the first time he saw a roly-poly. We were walking on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden this rock, he doesn't know what it was, it started moving, and he, Zeke does this hopping thing when he's excited, and he'll probably hear this 10 years later and be offended that I told this story, but whatever. He's not in here, so there's nothing to do about it now, but he does this hopping thing, and honestly, it looks like he has to go to the bathroom. First time I saw him do it, I thought, Zeke, let's go inside, buddy. You need to go to the bathroom. And so, but he saw this roly-poly, and he just kind of starts doing this hopping thing. He was just completely beside himself, eyes wide, mouth to the floor. And he goes, Dad, look at this. And what am I doing? Right? We're walking, and I'm just, yeah, yeah, oh, that's, oh, that's cool. Right? I, I turn my head so that it makes my son feel like I'm making eye contact with him, Right? But I'm, I'm in my peripheral. I'm still looking at my phone, like the stupid things that we do. He's like, Dad, what is this? And so I look at it, and I'm like, oh, well, that's a roly-poly. He's like, what is And so he gets down on the floor, right, like, like a kid would do. He gets down on the floor like this. Well, it's not, he wasn't as graceful. He just kind of jumped. Ugh. And so he picks up this roly-poly, right? Thank God it wasn't a snake that was there that it was picking up for the first time. But he picks this up. And it's in his hand, and it's rolling around, and then it starts crawling, and it scares him, and he drops it, and he picks it up again, and it starts crawling, and it scares him, and he drops it. And you think he'd get it, but this process just kind of repeats for, like, literally the next 20 minutes. And so I get down, and I'm laying on the floor, and and we're talking about this roly-poly, and I'm like, when was the last time I did this? I tell you, that's the beauty of the innocence of children. God works in the way that children look at the world because they see those little things, the roly-poly that's rolling around that everybody's going to miss when we get too busy. When was the last time you ran through a puddle just for the sake of it? I don't, I don't remember. Maybe you can run around in the water after second service. Okay, that'd be fun. We'll have some students throw some water balloons at you, but they will really enjoy that. Talk about, well, they'll love it. What about running as fast as you can? For, for no apparent reason, but just to run as fast as you could. But when was the last time you read a book to a kid or had a kid read a book to you? The joy that they have in realizing, I can read. Look at these. Do you see these words? It's like, yeah, I, I know how to read. And they're just amazed by it. That's where my son Noah is right now, just learning to read. And it's just captivated him. It's just the, the coolest thing to see. Parents, when was the last time that you got in, in the car with your students and just drove. Not to go to practice, not to go to an errand, but just for the sake of spending time together with no destination and no agenda. And maybe you end up at Josh's snow shack. I don't know. When was the last time we did those things like that? The simple little things that we can miss when we're too busy. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those like children. And when we fight for kids, what we're doing is we're telling them that they matter, but we're also allowing them to change the way that we look at and view the world, right? We need, to, we need to remember what it means to capture the world with eyes wide of wonder and expectation for things that God can do in the smallest things. So for some reason, we grow up and we just, 
We forget what that feels like. We forget what that looks like. And in those moments, when I was laying on the floor, why was that so powerful? Because, wow, he's noticing the little things. Jesus would have brought him forward. So the kingdom of heaven belongs to those that are like these children. Kids need somebody fighting for them more than ever. This last week at middle school camp, we had a great time. And thanks for those uh, birthday shout-outs, by the way. That was the coolest thing to get that. Uh, Daniel texted me that video of everybody saying happy birthday. I mean, I, I, I'm at camp, and that's my sweet spot. So to be there on my birthday, I was just, I was living the dream. <laughs> it was pretty great. But what they did is there were about 20 other churches that were there with their youth groups, and they split us up into different teams with different leaders, and it's a really good way to everybody to kind of mingle and get to know each other. And there was this girl from another youth group in our district that was a part of our team. And I love questions. And so the more time that we got to spend with her, the more questions that I got to ask. And so it just came up. So, hey, what are your hopes? What are your dreams? You know, you're going to be a sophomore and two years left of high school after this year. And do you have any idea what you might want to do? You know, not really expecting much. I'm just like, nah, whatever. I just kind of just go with life and see what happens. YOLO, hashtag, you know, you guys know that one. And I tell you what, though, guys, she, she did not skip a beat. She goes, oh, yeah, I know what I want to do. I want to work with teenagers first, and then I want to work with adults that are suicidal. Like, wait, I, I'm sorry, say that again? She's like, well, I, I want to work with students and then adults that are suicidal. So I, I said, well, why that specific focus? I mean, do you mind me asking? She goes, and again, she didn't skip a beat. She said, well, yeah, uh, my mom committed suicide last year. She's 14. She's going to go the rest of her life without a mom. And her passion is to make sure that that doesn't happen for somebody else. She's sitting there talking to me about this, and she is full of confidence and full of peace and completely composed. And I said, so how is it that you're able to sit here with so much peace and confidence talk about something so tragic. She said, well, it's because my small group leader, families of my church rallied around me to get my family and I through this tough season. Her story could have been totally different had it not been for somebody fighting for her. The kids need that. So what is it that you're fighting for? What's the lasting value of that thing? You know how you can fight for kids? Right here at Core Church, you can serve on the Core Kids City team. I know some of, that, some of you are in here and you serve on that team. And I gotta tell you, I, don't know, and I know that we talk about this a lot. I know, okay, I know. But serving on the Core Kids City team is just the, the, the coolest thing. I have, I have three boys back there. I got to tell you, I can't do this parent thing by myself. My, my wife and I, we, we can't figure this out by ourselves. I need other people pouring into my children. I need other people playing games with them, singing songs with them, telling them that they're loved, telling them that they matter, telling them that Jesus loves them. I need that. My kids need somebody fighting for them to make that a reality. And any time that you're back in core kids, that's what you're doing every single Sunday for my boys and for the other kids that are back there. You're fighting for them. 
And you might think, well, all I do is I play foosball in 252, or all I do is I play video games with the kids, or all I do is make sure nobody jumps out of the Jupiter jump when they're not supposed to. That's a very good place to be. All I do is hand out the snacks. All I do is push play on the DVD player. All I do is hold babies. So here's a spoiler alert. If you don't like spoiler alerts, cover your ears. All of those things, that's what fighting for kids looks like. And when you're a leader back in core kids, you're not just taking up space. Okay, you're not just telling kids things that they're not understanding and that they're not hearing. I know they might give you the facial expression like that's the case, but I promise you, Remember, eyes of wonder. There are sponges at this age. They are absorbing everything. A couple months ago when Zeke was in here with me because he was sick, I mean, it had to have been a week and a half, maybe 10 days, 12 days, maybe two weeks. I don't know. I feel like he's still singing the songs that we were singing that Sunday. And he was in here for an hour. And he soaked up that music. He soaked up that truth. And what's really cool is that when you're back there and you're fighting for those kids, here's what's cool. Okay, don't miss this. Because we have families that are here. We have parents. We have single moms. We have dads that are bringing their kids in by themselves. And they're trying out this church thing one last time. Like, well, we'll go today one last time. But then we've also got families that are coming in here for the very first time, checking out this whole church thing. They have no idea what this, what this church thing is about. And so when you're back there fighting for kids, giving their children a safe place to be, you're also fighting for those parents by giving them an opportunity to hear the truth of God's word. And I tell you, that's what changes the entire family dynamic. We're fighting for kids, but I really believe we're changing a family tree. Parents, maybe you've got kids that are still home. Fight for their innocence. The way that children are growing up these days, they're just bombarded with all of these adult themes. On social media, online, what they're watching on TV, words that they're hearing us say in our homes. We have to make sure that we are the ones to protect them, to make sure that they don't grow up too fast. And I'm not saying that we box them up and, you know, shelter them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we just need to be intentional about what it is that they're absorbing. We just need to be in their world and understand what that looks like. But maybe, maybe you are an empty nester. Maybe you don't have kids. Who in your neighborhood can you pray for? Is there a single mom in your apartment complex that needs groceries? You can fight for her. You can fight for her kids. They're just getting a bag of groceries. It's not, it's not that huge, huge of a thing. We, can't, we overcomplicate this, right? Students, who in your friend circles do you know that's going through a really hard time? At that girl at camp last week, do you know somebody that's going through a real hard struggle? Send them an encouraging text or send them a snap of your favorite Bible verse. I see you guys posting that stuff on social media, and I'm telling you it makes a difference. Who do you know that needs to be fought for? And here's my last thought. Okay, just to sum all this up, here's my last thought about what it means to fight for kids and what that looks like. Be who you needed when you were younger. Be who you needed when you were younger. I'm not sure what that was for you, but what I, what I suggest to you is to be who you needed when you were younger for the next generation. And don't we got to be careful because sometimes when we can look to the past, there's pain and there's regret and there's remorse, and, and, I, and I get that. Okay, so, so don't, don't wish of what you would have had. Okay, instead, just be that for somebody now. Be who you needed when you were younger. What are you fighting for? 